morning, family. Yeah, glad to be here with you today. You know, there was an old uh, Cajun named Boudreaux, and he went to the grocery store out in the country. And as he stepped up on the front porch, he noticed there was a parrot standing, sitting there. And the parrot looked at him and said, hey. Boudreaux said, what? That parrot said, you ugly. <laughs> now, he was mildly irritated about that, but he said, that's just a dumb bird. I'll just go on in and get what I came for. So he went in. A few minutes later, he came back out. That parrot was still sitting there. That parrot said, hey. Boudreaux said, what? He said, you ugly. Now he's really mad. So he goes back in and he tells the owner of that store, he said, I don't know who that bird belongs to, but I can guarantee you this. He will not live another day if he tells me what he's been telling me. And the owner of the store said, oh, no, no, Boudreaux, don't worry. He is not going to tell you that again. I promise he won't say that. I guarantee he won't say that to you again. Boudreaux said, well, it better not. So he walked back out on the front porch, and that parrot was still sitting there. That parrot looked at him again and said, hey. Boudreaux said, what? He said, you know. <laughs> so the things we're going to talk about this morning are things you already know. This morning's lesson is really going to be a refresher to things that we already believe and know. Today we're starting a sermon series led by the elders here at Impact Church called Oldies But Goodies. It's going to be like a blast from the past as we dig back into the Old Testament and see some of the things, the great truths that God has laid out before us that are still applicable today. You know, many of you were brought up on stories in the Old Testament. I know I was from a very early age. I knew all the stories in the Old Testament. But some of you are sitting here today and you haven't heard those stories or you don't know much about them. You know, just because the fact that we call them stories, if you don't know much about them, you might be thinking, oh, these are good fables or proverbs or just little things of wisdom, stories. But actually, they're accounts of God's people before Jesus came on the scene. And you might be thinking, too, that, well, if it's from the Old Testament, do we really need that? I mean, really, we are under the New Covenant today. We live in the New Testament, right? Well, I'm thinking about that, and if we really believe that the God of creation, the God of the cosmos, spoke into existence all that we know, I'm thinking that if he didn't want us to know what was in the Old Testament, he wouldn't have given it to us, right? As a matter of fact, if you look at your Bible, let's see here, there you go, two-thirds of it is the Old Testament, one-third the New Testament. So this seems like that's probably a pretty important thing, I would think anyway. Not something we should just write off because it's the Old Testament. You know, I, I, when I look at the Bible like that, two-thirds of it basically is where God said, here's the plan I have for you. We tried to live it, but we failed. All through the Old Testament, they keep coming back to Jesus, they keep coming back to God, but then they go and they mess up again. And then in one-third, it's a story about how Jesus came to earth and said, this is how it is possible for you to have a relationship with God and not only have a relationship with Him, but everything you've ever done will be forgiven and forgotten. Seriously? 
That's what it says. Hebrews 8.12 says, I will forgive your wickedness and remember your sins no more. Now, my Bible actually says, for I will forgive Max wickedness and remember his sins no more. Your Bible has your name in it, too. This is all about a letter from God to each one of us. So today we're going to be looking at forgiveness from the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a character in the Old Testament. He was quite a character, too. His name was Esau. I'm going to call him Esau the Forgiver. Now, any of you that that know the story might not be thinking that. Esau the Forgiver doesn't sound like a right name for him. More like Esau the Idiot, right? Because he was always getting into some kind of trouble. He sold his birthright, all his inheritance, for a bowl of pea soup. How much can this guy have going on, right? Well, I would encourage you to go home and read, starting in Japan. Genesis chapter 25 and following the whole account because it's rather lengthy of Esau and his brother Jacob. I'm going to give you an overview of that today. You know, it's funny how when we think of Esau as the one who sold his inheritance, it's easy to remember the bad things or the dumb things people do, right? And we forget sometimes that there was some good in their life. Even the people around us today. The dumb things or the stupid things, that's the things we remember. It's kind of like when somebody says, hey, watch this, right? We know what's fixing to happen, something not good. And that's the things we remember. And that's how easy it is to think about Esau. Because his life was littered with family struggles. Beginning with a fight with his brother... In a place where every fight starts, right? In his mother's womb. That's a crazy, I mean, that the Bible would even document that these two brothers were fighting inside the mother's womb, so much so that his mother, Rebecca, goes to God and says, what's going on in here? Then as he was being born, Esau comes out first, and as he comes out, there's another little hand holding on to his heel, pulling him back in because Jacob wanted to be born first. (laughs) Look at you boys. Then when he was born, that wasn't that great of a coming out either. It says actually in the Bible that he was red and hairy and he looked like he was wrapped in fur. Another version says it looked like he was wearing a fur coat. And you know, life is going to be tough When even as a baby, you can't get a, oh, he's so cute. (laughs) Esau didn't get to start off that way. And then he was robbed of his blessings by a a devious brother and a co-conspirating mother. His mother. Talk about one of our first dysfunctional families, right? These guys are prime candidates for Celebrate Recovery. I'm telling you, if they were here today... (laughs) I'd be like, no, I know where you guys need to go. And by the way, you know, every time Celebrate Recovery meets on Monday night, we always say, and if you don't have a church, a big church to go to on Sunday morning, Impact Church is the place to be. So I'm going to flip that around and say this. If you're dealing with any hurt, habit, or hang-up in your life, and you're doing it alone, Monday night is the place to be. We'll feed you a meal, and then we'll show you how you can overcome that hurt, habit, or hang-up in your life. Yeah. So anyway, this is the first family of dysfunction. And when you look at some of the dynamics, it's no wonder. Because the parents actually had, Isaac and Rebecca, had favorite children. And now, some of you are thinking here that have children, 
Oh, not us. But secretly, back in the mind, I really do like that one. But that's not something we tell our kids, is it? We would never tell them, oh, you're our favorite. But this family did. Isaac said, Esau is my favorite. Rebecca said, Jacob is my favorite. Then there's this whole lack of honesty between Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca goes into her husband Isaac with Jacob in tow and then lies to him, and Jacob knows she's lying. And they both keep this secret. Wow. You know, I look at this family, and if they showed up here, I would think, I need to schedule several months of intensive counseling with you guys just so we could see if we could start to move forward, to work things out. But this family was not ready to do that. Oh, no. Because you see, when Isaac died, Esau said this, As soon as my time of mourning is over, I will kill my brother. And he was just the man to take care of that too. So then Jacob's mom She decides she's going to help Jacob, and she helps him do what any good, brave, red-blooded man would do. She said, run! Get out of here! So he runs to a town far away to live with his uncle. Nothing like running away to solve your problems, right? (laughs) And this is a little bit of a sidebar here. You know when you're reading the Old Testament or New Testament and you turn a page? That's not like one day. It could be one day, but in this story, when you turn a page, 20 years takes place so 20 years would pass before Jacob would travel home and he travels home because God he got a message from God and God says it's time to go home and talk to your brother it's time for this family to be reunited when God told him that he really did listen he prayed about it that things would go good but he also plotted in case things didn't go very good And even wrestled with God because he was still fearful of what Esau would do to him. The last thing he heard is, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob is ready for destruction when he goes home. But interestingly enough, he's met with deliverance. He found a brother who had recovered from his hatred. He set aside his need to be vengeful. He set that aside and he just wanted to be back in a relationship with his brother in short he found a brother who was ready to forgive him in Esau but Jacob didn't know all this see he sent out his scouts just to see what was happening and what the scouts came back and said was Esau's coming and he's got 400 armed men with him that sounds like an army to me sounds like somebody's coming to take care of business doesn't it so Jacob does again what any smart person would do he splits up all his stuff He says, I'll take half of it with me and act like this is all I got. But we're going to keep half of it over here. So if things go bad, we're going to go back over here, get our stuff and run again so we won't be destitute. Because he still wasn't completely trusting God. Oh, he was part of the way. I'm going. But let's have a little stash over here just in case things go sour. But somewhere in that 20 years of being apart, Esau had learned to forgive. And I say learn to forgive because most of us as an adult, that's not the natural thing for us to do. We have to learn to forgive. And that's what Esau 
did. When he saw his brother, he ran to him, he hugged him, he kissed him, and wept over him because of all the time that they had missed out on as being brothers. He'd learned to forgive, and he recovered a brother and a friend that day. You know, then Jacob, he wants to shower him with gifts just to make sure everything is all right. And Esau's like, I got plenty of stuff, man. But if you want to give it to me, Esau, this rugged old guy, had the grace to accept the gifts that Jacob gave him. And they reconciled. And then Esau was respected by Jacob's family. This is pretty interesting. You know, Esau gave up the right to punish Jacob. And Esau really had made some really rash, irresponsible decisions in his life, but he had also been grievously wronged by his brother and his mother. But somewhere along the way, he found the wisdom and grace to let go of the past. If you don't hear anything else today, I hope you hear this. He came to understand that hanging on to bitterness and refusing to forgive what is past is a sure way to miss out on God's blessings today in the present. Hanging on to bitterness from what happened in the past, you're sure going to miss out on the blessings God has for you today. What a lesson for our walk, right? What's done is done. And you may have been wronged by even your own family members, but bitterness and unforgiveness only prolongs your suffering. You make the choice. Is that the way you want to live? Or do you want to live the life that God has planned for you? An unforgiving spirit builds barriers that isolate us from the love and the relationships that God has planned for our lives. And our Father in Heaven didn't leave it with, I hope you guys are just forgiving people. That will work out best for you. No, he commands it. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. Hebrews 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why would I do that? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. God's pardon to us was unconditional. We are then to forgive Without reservation. Setting aside the right to assign blame can bring about reconciliation that we never thought would be possible. You know what, even Esau, I love the way he was willing to forgive his brother because he did that by taking his eyes off of Jacob and putting his eyes on the grace of the Father and looking how much the Father had blessed him and saying, what right do I have, since I've been forgiven of so much, do I have to hold unforgiveness against my brother? What right? It's time to lay aside the bitterness and of an unforgiving heart and look to the grace of our Father. How has our Father blessed you? And that's not the end of the story. Genesis 33, 5 says this. This is a pretty cool part of the story. Then Esau looked up and saw women and children and said, Who are these with you? 
Jacob said, well, that's my children, the ones God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed. Listen to this. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel came and bowed down. Look who's watching this interaction of forgiveness between a father and an uncle. Joseph. Do you think Joseph is ever going to have a time in his life where he's going to need to forgive somebody? Like about 11 brothers who sold him into slavery after throwing him in a pit and then went home and told his dad, oh, he's dead. He stayed in prison for years. And all he was wanting to do was reconcile with family. He gave up the right to punish them because Joseph happened to be in a position to punish Second in command to Pharaoh. He could have had all his brothers locked up, but he didn't, I believe, because he saw a great example from his uncle, Esau, the forgiver. You know, Mac, that's a great story, but Esau had reason not to forgive Jacob. I'm just looking at it. He didn't need to forgive him, and I have reasons to forgive the people in my life who have trespassed against me. I have reasons. And your mind instantly pulls you back to the behaviors that cause you to believe this. What people have done. Can you believe they did that to me? (laughs) They deserve justice, punishment. And if I don't give it to them, nobody else will. If I don't do it, I'll appear weak. And besides this, other people need to know what they've done so they can watch out for this person. Oh, we can justify it any way we want to. You know, Esau may have felt all these things too. All I know is that he decided not to give his brother what he was due. Instead, he decided to give him forgiveness. You know, one time, Mary and I had an argument. More than once, but this was once. Some of you may be thinking, no, they seem so in love, and he's an elder in the church. They don't argue. Yes, we do. (laughs) I don't even remember what it was about. At the time, though, it seemed worthy of a fight. We were both angry. Neither one of us was going to give in, so we finally just went to separate ends of the house. And I was sitting there thinking about how right I was and the matter I got. And then all of a sudden a thought hit me. Oh, you're so right, huh? Yeah, I was so right that I can't even remember what we were fighting about. But I was wanting to hold on to that. But then I decided, no, I will apologize. And so I did what any mature man would do. I wrote her a note and I got a piece of paper. I folded it in half, then I folded it in half again. Now it's in quarters, so it looks like a card, right? You open it up. And on the outside of it, it said, To Mary, please read, then check the appropriate boxes. (laughs) This is a true story. She opened it up, and the first line was, Do you love me? Box yes or no, check one. The second line said, Will you forgive me? Yes or no? Check one. Are you ready to move past this box? Yes or no? Check one. Please send back to me. (laughs) 
Well, that's what I heard. From another room in the house, as Mary was walking back to where I was, I heard her laughing, and I thought, now that's a good sign. She had checked yes on all the boxes. She gave me back the note, and we hugged, and we made a new sign after that day. You know, whenever we're in an argument now or a disagreement, and the other one is like, this is not making any sense. The one who says this is not making any sense will hold up a hand like this and say, do over. And we almost always start laughing and say, you know what, this is not worth arguing about. I forgive you. And I'm sorry. On a serious note, forgiveness or forgiving doesn't mean condoning the offense. Say, for example, you've been sexually abused, physically abused. Forgiveness doesn't mean what the offender did is okay. It does not mean that. It doesn't mean letting them off the hook. No, forgiveness sets you free. You know, I had a mentor of mine told me years ago when I was having a particularly hard time letting go of an offense, he said, why are you letting that person take up rent-free space in your mind? They are holding you hostage. If you want freedom, the greatest oxymoron of all time, if you want freedom, let them go. That's where true freedom is found, in forgiveness. You know, forgiveness may be the most misunderstood, misapplied, misused quality in our culture. We think we know what forgiveness is, but I'm convinced that sometimes we really don't. So before we go any further this morning, I want to take a minute to give you a little quiz. It should be in your notes this morning, or it'll be up here on the uh, board as well. And I want you to answer true or false to each one of these, not out loud, just check the box. Here we go. Question number one. A person should not be forgiven until asking for it. True or false? Secondly, I took this hearing aid out so I can't hear you. (laughs) Don't give your neighbors the answer. Forgiveness, forgiving, includes minimizing the offense and the pain caused. True or false? Three. Forgiveness includes restoring trust and reuniting the relationship. True or false? And fourth, you haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten the offense. True or false? Now, I remember in school, this is the place where the teacher would say, now give your test to your neighbor and they're going to grade your test. We're not going to do that. You can grade your own this morning. But let's see how you did. First of all, I would say this. When you read the Bible and see what God has to say about forgiveness, you discover that all four of these are false. All four of them, they're false. How'd you do? Real forgiveness is unconditional, first of all. Real forgiveness is unconditional. There's no attachment to it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. And you don't bargain for it. Forgiveness is not based on a promise that it will never be done again. You offer it whether someone asks for it or not. Hold on a minute, wait! A person should not be forgiven until asking for it. Well, let's see. Our goal is to become more like Jesus, right? 
That would have been the best place in the whole sermon to say amen. Our goal to, is to become more like Jesus. Amen. amen, right? Okay, good. You're still with me. So think about this. When Jesus stretched out his hands and was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. You know what I find interesting about that? Nobody asked for it. Nobody. Nobody said, please forgive me, Jesus, for what they're doing to you. Nobody ever. He took the initiative without anybody asking. He offered it. Secondly, forgiveness includes minimizing the offense. Forgiveness isn't about minimizing the seriousness of what has been done to you. When someone asks for your forgiveness, you actually cheapen it. If you say, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's no big deal. It didn't hurt. If it wasn't a big deal, you don't need forgiveness. You don't need to offer it either. Forgiveness is for the big stuff. You don't use it for slights or minor injuries. It's something really requires forgiveness. Don't minimize it when someone asks for it. Don't say it wasn't a big deal if it was a big deal. There is a difference now between being wounded and being wronged. When you're wounded, that requires patience and acceptance, not forgiveness. Because more often than not, if you're wounded, somebody did that unintentionally. It wasn't on purpose. But being wronged, now that requires forgiveness. Three, forgiveness includes restoring trust and reuniting the relationship. The Bible teaches that forgiveness and restoring relationships are two very different things. Forgiveness is instant. Just like when we came to Jesus, when we said, I accept you, he said, forgiveness is instant and complete. That's instant. Trust, on the other hand, has to be built over a long period of time. Forgiveness, though, is your part of reconciliation. You can't do the other person's part, but this is your part. The one God asked us to step up to and do. The offender, on the other hand, has to do three other things besides forgiveness. Demonstrate repentance, genuine repentance. Make restitution wherever possible. Build your trust by proving that they have changed. Paul would tell a group of new Christians in Acts 26.20 who had been forgiven. Now he says, I want you to prove your repentance by what? By what you do. By your deeds. When we've been forgiven, we need to prove that we are changing by what we do. But as the forgiver, that doesn't change the fact that we are to forgive those who have wronged us, no matter how they act afterwards. That's a little tough to swallow, isn't it? And number four, you really haven't forgiven unless you've forgotten the offense. You know, it is impossible to forget something you're trying to forget. It really is. I mean, when you're trying to forget something, what are you focusing on? The very thing you're trying to forget. So it's impossible. The key isn't forgetting. The key is to learn to see through the eyes of grace, through God's eyes. And discovering how he can turn even bad things into good things. And when you remember that offense that you've already forgiven. The key is now 
Don't bring it up again. Don't bring it up. Stop rehearsing it. Release it and replace it. Last thing I want to say about forgiveness is this. We need to forgive. Oh, this is a big one. Because we are going to need forgiveness in the future. That's as simple as it gets right there. Matthew 6, 14 says this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That sounds doable, right? But this next part. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That sounds pretty cut and dry to me. I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. I know it. I know me. My future forgiveness hinges on forgiving you. And I know this is not a new verse to anybody, but it would seem that we think, you know, he really didn't mean that for me because what I'm holding on to is really important. These people really did. They did way more wrong than they did to any of y'all. I just can't let go of it. Yes, you can. You know, growing up, my dad was a very hard, harsh, hardworking man. He expected the best of himself and for everybody around him. I don't know how many times growing up I heard, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. One time I said, well, I don't think I'll do it then. <laughs> that wasn't the answer to give him. <laughs> he was also a man that would go out of his way to help anybody in need. I mean, anybody. As I grew older, I loved my dad, but I really did not want to be around him. And so the years of my rebellion began. I left home at a very early age because... I wanted to get away from what I saw as his tyranny, his dictatorship in our home. And I caused him and my family and myself a lot of pain through those rebellious years in my life and decisions that I made that were very poor. At 29, though, I came to a point in my life where I knew that something had to change. I was killing myself and everybody around me. So I checked myself into a rehab, and for the first time in my life, I was making right decisions. I was really proud of the decisions I was making. As soon as I got out of rehab, my dad came to see me, and he came to see me to tell me this. I don't know what they told you in there, but this ain't no disease you got. All you got is a sin problem. Got in his car and left. I was furious. I knew I'd been living a sinful life, but I was making good choices now. I was trying to do what was right. What did he want from me? Well, with the help of a good friend and mentor in my life, I forgave my dad, realizing that he was doing the best he could do with the tools he had, the tools he was given to him by an even harsher father. From that day forward, my dad and my relationship started to grow. So much so that at every family gathering, he would say hello to everybody that came in, and then he would pull me over to the corner of the room and he'd want to hear about, who are you sharing Jesus with now? What are you doing in your life? How are the, what are the decisions you're making in your life? Every time we got together, that's the way the discussion went. The last 15 years of his life, we were closer than all the years prior. Here's the thing. 
He never asked for forgiveness. I forgave him anyway. And that was the start of a relationship with him that I always wanted. When he passed away, the rest of the family immediately said, Max got to do the funeral. See, I got to send my father home because of forgiveness. You know, I've talked to some of you in here who are dealing with unforgiveness or having a hard time letting go and forgiving. And you're probably thinking, oh, he did this sermon just for me today. You're wrong. You're wrong. This is the message for me and for everybody else in here too. Because you know, this is something that's got to be a part of our life. I want to be a person And this is something that has stuck out to me in the last year. I want to be a person who lives a life of premeditated forgiveness. I want to be a person who is ready to forgive at a moment's notice to things that are done wrong to me. I don't want to be a person that hangs on to things from the past and then misses out on the blessings that God has planned for me today. You know, I don't know where you're at today. I really don't. But if you need to offer this kind of forgiveness today, first I would say start by praying that God will soften your heart. Because that's where it starts. It starts right here in your heart. About the person or people that you need to forgive. You can do it right where you're sitting today. Or when we stand and sing, you can come down here and pray down front. Somebody will pray with you. You can pray by yourself. But I would tell you this. If there's someone that is holding you hostage today because you won't forgive them, don't let today end without talking to somebody about that. Forgiveness starts with you today. We were not meant to do this life alone. So stand with me. As we sing this last song, if you have any need at all, you can come and pray.